Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to today's episode of the Master Retention Podcast. Um, super excited for today's episode. It's been a little while since we've done a super deep dive into everything live ops. So super excited. Um, and we have one of the best with us. Uh, we have Tiago Leta uh, coming to us from Edo Games, where currently doing stuff for Forge of Empires, which is like, I mean, such a, a commonplace name. A great game reference for all, all sorts of things. Um, so we're going to have a lot of fun welding into the wonderful world of live ops today. Um, but Tiago, before we do that, uh, we always like to uh, understand, like, what's your journey? Like, how did you get to where you are? How did you get to working in games? Yeah. Tell us your story. All right. Hey, Ton. Thanks for having me here today. So a little bit about my story. Um <clears throat> I think in the past, I worked uh, in engineering, like direct mechanical engineering, and did that for almost 10 years. But during these years, I was always very passionate for games. I used to play a lot, try different platforms, different games, uh, also different uh, genres. And it was always something that I considered like a, a hobby. But then when I moved to Germany and I did my master's degree, I was looking for working positions in Germany, right? Also to go back to mechanical engineering area, but a position at InnoGames appealed way too much for me. At the time, they were requiring a market analyst for gaming. And I was like, well, that's perfect. <laughs> exactly the kind of um, job I would like to have because I am then required to play as many video games as I can and try to classify them in genres, art styles. Find like the dream job, right? Yeah. Dream job. I'm paid to, to play video games. So I did that for one year. It was incredible. I think the, the company is also a very nice company. They received me very well. They gave me all the opportunity and all the space to really show my creativity to learn together with the people that were in there. And by the end of my first year as an intern, um, I was contacted and offered a position as a game designer because they felt that I absorbed a lot of knowledge doing these deconstructions of game for almost a year. And on that moment, then I started as a junior game designer for Elzenar in the first time. And I worked as a game designer on Elzenar for one year. And after one year, there was also an available position as a public manager, also on the same team I was before, also an Elvener. And that's when the whole journey uh, on LiveOps actually started. Being a product manager on Elvener, where I stayed for another year. And then in the beginning of this year, I was invited to also do live ops in Port of Empires. And here I am for almost six months doing and here you are. So my first question, because I feel like everyone has a slightly different answer and interpretation is what is LiveOps? Well, that's a very interesting question. If you look, for example, from a developer's perspective, it's everything that's uh, related to acting on live markets and how that is done, all the changes, bug fixing, response to communities. In a product manager perspective, at least on my perspective, LiveOps has to do with all the small changes that come every day. So everything that is not 100% static and long-term for me, 
already consider live ops. So in my opinion, uh, it's exactly what I do. Really paying attention to seasonal events, mini events, all the sales, price conditions. So making sure that the player is most of the time, making sure that everything that the player encounters that is not part of the basic gameplay is being taken care of. So this is what I, I spend most of my time looking into with artists, with game designers, with the developers. And I love it because uh, I used to work with mechanical uh, repairs and I like these every day there's something new and mostly not dealing with long-term projects, six months, sometimes of implementation and mostly pushing out events every month or every second month, looking towards the player's feedback and reacting as fast as possible, creating infrastructure, data analysis on player feedback, player behavior. And I think it's always incredible because you see that each small change you call, you do in the game actually is perceived by the players. They come and they give you feedback. So it's an open conversation between us and the players. I think that's the part that I love the most about helping live us. Yeah, that's, that's great. And I did skip over this a little bit, but uh, for folks that maybe aren't familiar, I, I guess I was assuming that everyone is familiar, but can you tell me a little bit about like, you know, games, like what do you guys make? What do you do? How long you've been around? Yeah. Like I, I just love to hear a little bit more about that. No problem. Yeah. You know, games is a company that was founded several years ago. I think the, if we look back to one of our first games, you have tribal war in 2003. And it was founded by three friends that were working on their, like their houses. And these three people, uh, first built this online, um, MM, like massive, uh, online game, rebel wars where players would compete, conquer some cities, grow their cities. And then the whole, uh, portfolio started to grow from tribal wars. They recreated also Grappolis, that is a game that is more of the same direction. Then came Forge of Empires in 2012. Then we had Elvenor in 2015. And today, InnoGames is a company with 300 employees from 40, 40 different nations. So it's an incredible, like, cauldron of ideas of different people coming together and discussing how they think, what they think. So. A company that started so small and managed to reach uh, milestones like Tribal Wars, for example, that already reached its 20th year or what we had this year, also a very cool milestone for Forge that now, I even find it incredible to think like that it has reached like a 1 billion euro lifetime revenue. So everything started with these three guys and grew up all to what it is right now. And I think it's really cool because even sometimes that we go to the office and we have uh, flexible working positions. So you work whenever, whatever you want. You can still sit close to other founders, Ike or uh, Hendrik, and talk to them in party. I remember coming and say, hey, how did it happen? When did you grow? And they are super open to talk, to discuss. They're into the games. They come to you to ask. Uh, so it's a very nice environment. It's amazing. Very cool. Very cool. All right. So 
the first thing that I thought we should get into um, is segmentation. So for those listening, um, segmentation is basically the idea of grouping players together by things that they done, you know, in the past, basically, um, because the way that they reacted in the past is probably indicative of how they're going to react in the future. And maybe I want to change, you know, some part of their gameplay experience to better match them. I think probably like the most standard example might be, hey, maybe have segmented quests in a game like Rocket League because maybe my PlayStation players play for, I don't know, two hours a day on average, and my Nintendo Switch players play for 30 minutes a day on average. Now, imagine that my base quest took about an hour to do. You know, that's going to be trivial, not going to push the PlayStation players to care at all. And the Nintendo Switch players might be like, well, I'm never going to hit that because that's like way more time than I'm ever going to play. You know, that's like an impossible task. So maybe it makes sense to have a quest that takes, I don't know, 35 minutes to complete for my uh, Nintendo Switch players and maybe like, I don't know, two hours and 10 minutes or something for the PlayStation players. Like that pushes you a little bit more as actually like challenges you and keeps you kind of engaged and playing. Um, so that's... Uh, segmentation as a whole i think that chat like everyone tends to get segmentation at a high level but what i've found is that very few companies have actually been able to do segmentation well like when i ask you like okay well segmentation sounds cool but like what segments do you do or how should you group these players together in a way that actually like leads to a better player experience so you know you guys obviously are great at live ops i'm curious like What's your take on segmentation? How do you guys approach it? Yeah, I believe that you can approach segmentation from different perspectives. We also have, we have the basic CRM cost, uh, segmentation where we're going to try to create a modular offers that will uh, be interesting for di different type of players. So play styles and uh, uh, records with the players tend to spend more or less on a specific price point. I think we have a great uh, CRM team inside of InnoGames uh, you know, that supports each of the games. So they are more into trying to make player profiles, try to be to build AI-based models to ensure that what we are offering to players is actually what the player needs and when it needs to receive. So all the the offers that are uh, presented when they are presented. So these user journey offers is a way to segment. And that is a topic that I sometimes participate, but it's not something that I put myself so much uh, into because I ha we have these big team that is really looking into it. But there's also another side of segmentation. And that's the part that you also mentioned. And good that you asked that. How do we make events for different player and different play styles? How can we make sure that my 55-year-old American guy also enjoys the uh, playing an event on mobile the same way that a 32 female in Germany likes to play on browser? How can we put these things together? And I think that is something that Ford and, and, and Elvenar have been doing very well for years. Because I think after a while, we managed to create a connection to the community 
and we have this open communication for feedback to try to understand what drives them. So for example, I spent a lot of time on Elvenar, uh, almost two years, uh, working with LiveOp as a game designer, as a product manager. And it was really interesting to see. Part, uh, on Elvenar, you have two different races. You can progress in the game in three different ways. You have PVE uh, events. You have negotiation events in which you have to try to solve a small puzzle, but using resources instead of units. And you have the progression that is the progression throughout the game. Some players will specialize in events, for example, endless dungeons or guild activities, while other players will focus and target in progressing to the game as fast as possible. So in these, uh, in the game structure, you already start to attend to a, a different kind of uh, uh, player profile. I remember saying, having players complaining, I don't want to battle. I have a quest that requires me to battle. I don't want to battle. I'm not interested. I'm interested in trading. How can we do that? And understanding these profiles is how you make an attractive event. I remember years ago, we received some... We usually receive gifts from our players. They send it to our office. And people would start sending pictures of their cities. Not that they were the min-max city with the biggest amount of production or attack, but they really enjoyed decorating the cities. They wanted to make it beautiful. How can I get to this um, segment? So we created a set of buildings that were super beautiful, that you could decorate the main buildings. And they were also meaningful, even for the players that don't want to decorate. So you're starting to change us in some points to be able to accommodate all these players. In games like Ford and Elvana, that you have a very complex uh, economy, several features connected to each other, you can, in that one single event, attempt to the needs of people that want different features. For quests, we have quests with or conditions in which a player can do this or that. We try to make sure that the quests are also tailored depending on the player uh, progression in the game. So our players, if they are in the end, they get a set of quests. When they're in the beginning, they get a different set of quests. So we try to modular, make it modular for each of the players, try to understand how this, these ecosystem works and bring them uh, specific quests. If we look back, for example, to Elvenar, we came up with a season pass last year, the four seasons of Season of Dreams, of yep. Victory. And the way we did it, and we put a lot of effort in it, is to generate the quest conditions individually for players. You don't go out and set a set of quests, a list, and you expect everyone to follow. You say, what does this yep. player have? What has he unlocked? Then let's give it that, that to him. Also on our, our reward lane, we brought something that I don't think I saw anywhere else, that we allow players to pick one out of, out of three rewards, and each of these rewards will cater to a specific part of the game. So if you're more into one, you still have something there. And it was a mm -hmm. test. Yet. We ran these seasons for already, I think, four iterations. And it's really interesting to see how we understood our players because when you see on the data what rewards are picked, you don't have clear uh, preferences. 
They are all well balanced. So we know that every player is playing the game the way they like. Sometimes they have to stretch a little bit here and there, but the vast majority is still uh, being able to complete the quest line. And when they look at rewards, we always find something that the player wants. So I think looking yeah. to understand what your audience, really talking to them, listening to them. I spend a lot of my time on their forums, on discords, saying what people are discussing, really reducing the, the barrier and understanding why are the players coming to the game? You have also to, to think like that. When we make a feature, we expect the player to play one way, but not all the time is exactly, they're not exactly playing how we expected. And we have yeah. to judge, okay, is this like bad to the game? No, they're just playing the way they like. Okay, then let's always look towards making something that captivates the audience rather than fighting against it. And understanding yeah. how your game is composed is the, is I think the baseline. And the more you can cost, make it custom, the more you can tailor make your quest, the rewards is even better. In a game that has already so many years, we're talking about 10 years, 11 years of Forge, you have an, a very big asset, a, a very big variety of assets that you can give to the players. And by keeping track of the selections, always reevaluating a strategy, we mostly find it. I think that is how to do segmentation on game design and, and how I, as a product manager, look at our product. That's great. I love that a lot. Okay, here's a variation of that question. What's hmm. a segment that you created that you thought would work really, really well and it just went terribly, like it didn't work at all? So I created this segment so we could do this thing, but like, why didn't that work? Or like, how do we group these players wrongly? Yeah, I think with the, the experience we had, it was really hard to not, uh, with the information we had to not find very well the segments. I remember um, one thing that we tried to do was we tried to cluster the players depending on their progression in the main quest line and try to provide uh, a balancing that would be specific for each of the chapters, meaning the parts of the main progression. And that was the only thing that didn't work quite well because we expected the players to grow on a curve that was the same based on the game design data. And what we realized is you can predict the behavior of the players in the beginning and try to see how they're going to progress mm. because they have way less options. But trying to use a theoretical approach to model the creativity of players that are playing a game for one year, two years, three years, it's way off the charts. It doesn't work so well. So we started to change quest lines and to change rewards and say, oh, now it's going to be perfect because all the numbers work. And then we start to see that the quests were really, really harsh on the beginner, beginner players, super easy for players in the middle, harsh for the players in the end because they just found a different way to go around the feature. But most of the time, I think the segmentation we, we pursued was quite visible in the data. Because when you look at the actions, the behaviors, and all the, the, the decisions, 
if you spend some time, and that's something I love to do, I'm, I'm really into data, you can really try to see and you create your, your idea of what the players have been. And then you just go into the forums and see what players are talking about. And you start to perceive that they fit in that. That's great. Okay. Um, well, let's keep going. So next, I kind of wanted to talk about the live ops calendar. So how do you guys approach like thinking about a calendar? So you kind of mentioned you play maybe like a month or, you know, two months out. Like, how do you figure out what should be going on for each of these different, you know, player segments, you know, throughout, let's say the month of November? Okay. So, um, basically, um, for the offers, uh, they are created via the team on the, the CRM team, and they are mostly based on time between um, purchasers. They are based on expenditure profiles, but uh, the live ops calendar for sales is more uh, built by these teams than by myself. What yeah. I would be working more on is uh, defining which events run when, how long they should take, what sales are we doing for all the players, and when to, to do them. So when I work in the, in the calendar, I'm working much more into understanding, okay, how long should this event run? Is it too long? Is it too short? Will players be bored? How can we make the mechanic be attractive for the player during 20 days? 30 days, 18 days, should we run a sale after? Should we not? Do we want to try to drain some resources in the end or not? So it's really an approach more into mm -hmm. the uh, event calendar than on how the sales are actually set up. And if you think about sales, players don't give damn about you know, sale running, right? Like they care about, is there something fun and interesting and surprising waiting for me that like gives me a reason to open the game because i don't think like hardly any players are going to open the game to see what they could spend money on right they're going to open Definitely. the game because Definitely. there's like this you know big concert that's going on in Fortnite, or there's this other mm -hmm. thing that i don't want to miss out on or i don't know what's going on today but i know that every time i open the game there's something new and exciting so i like i want to have a reason to do that right exactly i think I, I'm, I define the idea, I divide the, the, stand, the idea that the player should always be able to find something cool when he enters the game. I think every time, imagine how frustrating it is for a player to really want to buy something and not be able to. I think we have to keep offering the player new products, new uh, offers all the time. And how most of the times I work with that is we always run events. So we have now the medium-sized events between 20 and 30 days that have run in a mechanic, the specific mechanic. Currently, we have uh, the pop three mechanic. We work with uh, merge mechanic. We have also an idle mechanic running. And uh, we just released the card mechanic. And we also have a uh, chess mechanic. So five different mechanics wow. inside of the game. And we make sure that 
we cover almost 200 days per year with these events. So even when the player is playing, after he's done doing the core loop, he can also bend out a little bit, sit there and play a, a mini game that is slightly simpler than the whole uh, sword game. And we work together a lot with our artists, bringing new content, bringing new new buildings inside of the game. It's a city builder, right? So what attracts the players yeah. will be the city builders and the the buildings and the the consumables. So we work my team on the live ops together with the team that develops the main storyline on creating mm-hmm. mechanics, create advancing the game, and then the event covers it, bringing the rewards that will support the player into these uh, new mechanics. So I think in the beginning when I was a, a game designer, we had the, I had a presentation with a friend of mine, uh, Timon, about the rewards theory, and he defines rewards as going through seasons. So every time you have a new feature, the player first needs to learn about it, and you can give him temporary help. After he gets to learn these mechanics, you can give him more a permanent help. And that's how we do with the, the events also. But as soon as something new comes out, we give some rewards that will help the player learn that mechanic. And then after he learns it, we solidify his performance on that mechanic by giving more permanent rewards. So this is the, the, the interaction between the events and uh, the main game progression. And the way Forge is doing its own features is literally connecting one feature to the other. So creating a circle where the player plays one feature, goes to the next one and to the next one. And the events will be also a flow onto rewards to each of these features. So events run. During the events, we have cool buildings, cool packages where players also can select what rewards they prefer. We run sales on the same day. So players that want to buy, these uh, buildings can purchase for a better price. After the events are gone, we run also more sales so they can prepare to the other features. So they also can purchase at that moment. So always bringing something new, something fresh, seeing what the community needs and preparing them and delivering every, let me see that thing, like every 14 days, we start a 20 day event. So covering the year with 200 days. More on other events. Do you guys ever? So, if I think of like the game that has the most skilled live ops that I've ever played, mm-hmm. I actually look at Royal Match these days. Mm-hmm. I don't know, played Royal Match, but it's like, like when I think of a, a perfect live ops experience, you've got a, a gameplay that has a good core monetization loop because I don't really like doing sales because players just get addicted to discounts and it like ruins your economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you have a good core monetization, like match three has a very good core monetization, right? Which mm-hmm. is you play a level and sometimes you'll fail a level, mm-hmm. but you have the opportunity to spend like just a little money to get plus five moves to complete that level. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a good core monetization. So if I look at live ops in Royal Match, like all of their live ops are oriented to how do I get players to play more matches per day? So mm-hmm. they have more opportunities to hit that plus five moves and more opportunities to spend on those. Mm-hmm. And then I can also layer in some additional reasons of why you might want to buy that plus five move because you want to, you know, 
avoid losing these things or get this extra bonus by beating it on the first level attempt or, you know, all these other things that like give you more of a reason to do that. But at the end of the day, all of it's oriented towards getting you to, you know, spend more, uh, you know, time playing levels. Uh, and then they have it layered together perfectly. Like, I feel like a lot of games that I see, they think in terms of like, oh, well, we have like this event going on this week, which I think works okay. But mm -hmm. when you're like really scaling up live ops, you know, do you start to think of a calendar as like layered events? Because mm -hmm. like when I play Royal Match, I complete the Balloon Rising event. But then I see that, I, oh, I'm like 80% of the way towards completing the Lava Quest. So I might as well like a couple more levels so I can beat that. And then by the time you get done with that, then there's like another one that you're like nearly all the way there for. And you just keep like layering on. And after all these kind of stacked together, you end up, wow. I played maybe twice as much as I intended to, but I got all this extra stuff and it was really fun and like totally worth it. It's a balance. You could do it very wrong if you don't do it well. But, um, what's your take on like thinking about the calendar? Like, is it better to try to take that like stacked approach where you're thinking about the calendar? How do all these events work together? Or, you know, is it more about like, hey, this week we're kind of running like this event where we're doing this thing. We kind of have all the features like oriented around that. Or is that kind of game specific, audience specific? I think that is also, in my in my opinion, it's a little bit game specific because in a metric game, you are you know way more capable. I think audience that will try to beat the, the the game, and then you bring some small details to make the player play a little bit more. When I look about when I look on on Forge Empires, for example, the core gameplay is already very dense. So the player is already required to prepare on a medium to long-term uh, period to be able to uh, out be outstanding on one feature. Also, there is a lot of competition going on among these players. And then I think on specifically our event calendar, the events, they somehow go on top. Because you're just talking about Royal Match, and we have the same. We have a pop mechanic that you go there and you play the event and then if you get to the end, you can buy plus yeah. five points and you can buy some tools and you can really play the game even longer and you can buy tickets to have more uh, games a day. But that is connected to a bigger reward that is in the end that will be placed in your city that will help you on the midterm to long-term. So we, we, what we do is we balance long-term goals in short-term actions. So you have this long-term goal of beating a specific battlegrounds. So every second week, there is a guild battleground where players fight players for a big position. To prepare for the battlegrounds, then you are playing daily the seasonal event that is happening for 20 days. And what I believe is that we can even spend on top of, uh, expand on top of these events. So you see uh, Farm Guild. Farmville has races, event races, three-day event races. They have yeah. uh, two-day event challenges, so co uh, collection challenges. So you layer smaller events because the gameplay, like the core loop, is a long to mid to long-term progression. So depending yeah. on how your game is, you either construct up or you construct it down. So if you are on a short-term uh, if, if your game is working on a more sh of a short-term phase, uh, then you can have a, a layer that is, okay, if you play 25 games without losing, you get this stuff. Um, mm. 
also being done in some book games. If you, the more games you play without losing, the more you get rewards to play more. So you create this long-term layer on a short-term, more or less short-term uh, gameplay. On four yeah. we have our long-term, then we build on the shorter term. So our players will come in, they will do their collections in the city, prepare them layout, prepare for something bigger that will be the guild expeditions or the guild battlegrounds. But they have on these days to play a few of the games and try to bring them really more casual mechanics so they can have this quick fun between, I don't know, uh, their houses to work or from work back home and mm. also have this big perspective on the game. Okay, I want to beat this championship next week. I will coordinate with my guild to reach this point in a month. So yeah. I think kind of we try to even out to allow the players to have these both experiences. That is, that is the, the way you should look at your game and how to implement these seasonal events. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. Um, so switching gears just a little bit. Uh, a lot of people, when they think about live ops or like the player journey, they think about kind of like triggers. And so one thing that you've talked earlier about of like a segment that didn't work was like triggering, you know, a player's experience of like, hey, once they get to, let's say level 20, we want to do this thing for them. Uh, I'm curious, like, what are some other triggers that you've tried that have actually worked really well for you? Um, so like, what are some things of like, Hey, when we did, or when players had this thing happen, we triggered this thing and it was like a good experience. So like an example might be, Hey, when your gold falls below a thousand, I want to trigger up like a recharge offer, or I want to trigger up like an event that allows them to play the game more and earn, you know, free gold or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing that I found that worked quite well, and it was not on Ford, but I saw it being done and I liked it a lot, were one of our other games, um, Sunrise, Sunrise Village. And what Sunrise Village did, and they realized it really fast, was we had seasonal events, they had seasonal events running. But they realized that sometimes the players that were starting in the game, they also would like to participate in the events, but a very, very beginner player sometimes has very, either it starts in a moment that there is no event running. So he doesn't understand that the game also has this calendar or he's so in the beginning that the hurdles to actually participate in the event are actually quite good, quite big. So one thing that they did and I found really interesting is having event, having user related events. So no matter when you start or how you start, you will get a complete, really short event just for you that will introduce you to the event mechanics in a simplified way and give you a pool of rewards that will be meaningful in the beginning of the game. So you already start and you feel like you're a part of it. So I, I watched it happening and it was really, really uh, successful for them and already started to show the players that we will have something more for you while you play the game. And I yeah. think that work, worked incredibly for them. Very cool. What about 
Are there any other triggers that you've tried that like you thought would work really well, but then didn't work? Mm, to be honest, while I was uh, on uh, Forge and Elvenar, mm, I haven't seen many that did not work well because most of the 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 offers that players receive and rewards that players receive are more based on time than on a specific trigger condition. So I will, I don't recall at the moment anything that came to my uh, view that was incredible or it was very weak. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. Um, last topic that I thought we'd cover today. I, it's crazy. We're, we're like almost out of time already. Um, how can you design, let's say, offers or events for, say, competitive players versus social players? Like, you talked about how you have different player groups, like mm -hmm. some they like to trade and other ones like to like compete. So I'm curious, like, what are some lessons that you've learned, of, like how to design something that works for these different, you know, groups of players so that they're happy, but also that they don't feel like they're hey, I'm completely missing out on this thing because I don't want to fight other players or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's where you have to be very flexible. I think uh, in our game, we cover first a very wide uh, price point range. So we have offers that go from 99 cents to 199 euros. So we have offers on the size of different players. Uh, we try to... Uh, present these offers on uh, the for the right players on the right time. So yeah. if a player is a more high spender, he's gonna get bigger offers offered with higher value. We'll, he will not be bothered with a ninety nine cent offer because it doesn't bring anything. That's not what that player wants. While players that don't spend so much will uh, be more interested in maybe these smaller offers. I think the whole yeah. balancing of the offers we do with a lot of care and try to make these offers rather quite modular. So they scale with the prices, we change the content of these offers and also the variety, right? Because if you, if you can target the player with two, three, four offers that you think might be interesting, I think it's a more movement of trial and error. You create an offer for thinking on the segmentation, present the three of them, see which one performs better. And then you start to mod having these modular offers in which you will design the offer not based on the player profile solely, but on the feature you are pretend you intend to target. So if we have a feature, your battlegrounds or any battle focused features, then the offers that will run together with the feature are focused to that point. Yeah. So looking towards more uh, uh, feature-based uh, uh, offer. And I think also there are offers that are general. So if you are offering play something that every single player needs for the general progress, you can uh, uh, use that a lot. And one thing that we do a lot also on, on Forge, and I really like this approach, is I don't sell you an item, but I sell you a selection kit. And I tried to create this kit with variations of the of a specific reward. So if you are more into trading, 
then I will sell you a kit that has some goods inside where you can choose. Or if you want to find inside of the kit, there are also units and they are on the same value. So I allow you also to decide. And I think one of the most uh, interesting things that you can provide to the player is the sense of uh, decision. I bought it because I wanted it. That is what I wanted. <laughs> so yeah. allowing the player to, to make his own decision instead of trying to cover with a lot of different options. And most of the time, this feels not so good because I bought something, but I got something I don't want. So you look for things that are more general and you let them uh, select from a kit. What do you want? What, what fits you better? I love it. I love it. Okay, well, we're pretty much out of time here. So I have one last question for you because we are on the Mastering Podcast, Mastering Retention Podcast, I should mm -hmm. say. Um, and that is, you know, what's one tip or trick or lesson you've learned over the years to increase retention? Like, how do you keep your players coming back and playing day after day, week after week, hopefully year after year, right? Yes. Mostly year after year. <laughs> A game that has 12 years, it's retention is something very important. I think uh, what first what we look a lot is try to make the beginning of the game, the tutorial and the first steps very easy. So allow the players to learn the game slow and steady, bringing the features into the game as the player gets comfortable with the next one. So making the onboarding very smooth. I think that's something to get these beginners and actually put them into the game, allow them to interact with the game and get rewards that are meaningful for them. And for the long-term players, the players that we are already there with us for 10 years, 15 years, yeah. listening to them and bringing the challenge that they expect. I think it's really different when you have a game that just started that is one year and you still try to find your audience. Or for we have like a very solid audience that has been with us for a decade sometimes. And really understanding that the players are the most important part of the game. So how do they want to play this game? What is this game that they dream in? How can we, with all the, the design we have, with all the artists that we have, deliver this thing that they are passionate about? I think it's create, keeping this contact with, with your community, listening mm -hmm. to the feedback that they give, and try to improve the game and bring something new. Say, let me solve your problem. I think services in general are like that. I'm here to yeah, yeah. solve a pain point. So you want to have fun. You want to be strategic. You want to be, you want to have a community. You want to talk to your friends. How can I better deliver that? And I think that is the, the secret to keep these players engaged because they want to come back. They want to meet their friends. They want to play together. They want to get these cool reward, these new level that they reach. So I think uh, the secret for the performance that Forge and Elvin have held after so many years is because we're always looking into the players, understanding their pain points and their needs and addressing in a creative way, in a positive way, and with a lot of work and quality. So that's what Love I mean. Love it. Well, thank you so much, Theo. Uh, if folks, do you want to get in contact with you or, you know, games, like what's the best way for them to do that? Well, if you want to get in contact with me, you can write me an email, um, thiago.leite at innogames.com. If you want to talk to InnoGames, you can always go to our website there. You have the contacts of all the, the uh, 
departments, also on Facebook, uh, on the forums, anywhere. It's really easy. You can just go to the games also on the web pages. You have all the contacts as well. Love it. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Tom. Well, a pleasure to be here.